Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Halloween. Hope you're all having a wonderful day and getting into the festivities. This episode of the podcast is with Randy Garrett and his son, Jasper. Randy is a good friend of mine. He lives down the street. He is a badass spear fisherman, mushroom forager, and uh, swell forecaster. He's been on this podcast twice before, once to talk about swell forecasting, which you guys really enjoyed, and then another time to talk about um, mushroom foraging, the wood wide web, as he calls it. Um, and Randy has taught his son Jasper how to be an expert mushroom forager as well. And in this podcast, they tell a story um, about getting lost in the Sierras while foraging for mushrooms. Uh, it was a coming-of-age story. I really enjoyed it. And um, it's really inspiring just listening to, uh, to young Jasper talk about the way he dealt with being out in the wild um, and... I, you know, it's uh, it is interesting how much it, it, it's. I don't think I've ever said this before, but how much we can learn from young people. It's the most cliche thing to say, but during the podcast, that is one of the um, the takeaways that that I I felt was like, wow, there this young kid has some wisdom to share. Um, so I hope that you all enjoy it. Uh, there were some some knowledge drops for sure. Uh, and Randy, by uh, trade, is a math teacher at PCS. Um, and one of the first times I met Randy, I, uh, he came out over to my house, and he knocked on my door, and he said, hey, do you have a walnut tree out front? I said, uh, yeah, I, I think so. He said, would you mind if I picked some walnuts? Sure, I guess so. Uh, I said, awesome. So he picked some walnuts, and he comes back to me the week later uh, with walnut liqueur. And now I put it on my ice cream. So if that's if you, if you can't make a friend and a neighbor that way, that's then uh, <laughs> you're not doing it right. So Randy's one of my favorite people. I love him to death. Uh, before we get this going, I want to let you know about a event that um, pr- the Surf City Project um, is hosting. And I had their founder Johnny Irwin. Um, send a little voice memo. So here it is. If you're up in the San Francisco area, uh, City Surf Project takes underprivileged youth out surfing, and uh, it's just a really great organization. So here is Johnny from City Surf Project. City Surf Project invites you to our fifth annual fundraiser and book launch taking place at the Folsom Street Foundry, located at 1425 Folsom Street in San Francisco, on November 16th from 7 to 11.30 p.m. DJ Doja and DJ Ilborn will be in the house. Other attractions include delicious food from SF's finest vendors, drink tickets, live and silent auction items, prizes, and other entertainment from GoPro and more. Come out and help us celebrate our impact and look to another year of making waves one life at a time. All right, and... Last but not least, thank you very, very much to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these episodes. And in this one, I wanted to tell you guys about their CBD-infused nootropic caps. See that? Can you guys hear that? That's not a cat playing with a little little ball right there. That's uh, my CBD-infused nootropic caps that have uh, 5-HTP, 4-Skalin, artichoke extract, all kinds of good stuff that... Uh, I have put into my morning routine, uh, and you can get 10% off by typing in the code name Kyle10 
10% off, go to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name Kyle10, and get your nootropics and see if it helps. Anywho, that is it for now. I hope that you're all having a great day. And uh, I guess finally I should let you know um, we're full steam ahead on the Motherfucker Awards. December 3rd show in LA. Get your tickets now. Go to motherfuckerawards.com. It's going to sell out very fast. We've got some big comics, some big presenters, and it's going to be a good time. Uh, So I hope to see you in person at the MOFAs on December 3rd in LA. And with that, please welcome to the show Randy Garrett and his son, his 13-year-old son, Jasper. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right, Jasper and Randy, here we go. We are talking about mushroom sales. So you guys have a joint business, two fun guys, and you sell uh, mush- local mushrooms to businesses here in Santa Cruz. Yes. And you guys split it 50-50, yes. equal uh, business partners. Now we do. We More did. or we're, less. We, we, Some heavy negotiations sometimes. have been, been going down. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I think your father has the upper hand in those negotiations. He... <laughs> But sadly, sadly, (laughs) sadly, but I, I, you're quick witted and you are now brokering the deals with the restaurants and that's where, that's where the real power in the business goes. So you're, you're getting the marbles back into your court now. So what does a restaurant negotiation look like? You have a a big box of morels that you just picked. Yeah. Um, from the Sierra. So essentially what we do is we'd walk in, talk to like the person at the counter, right? We'd say, uh, like we got, Blank pounds of morels here. We we're wondering if you guys were looking to buy some. And generally, the person will either say yes or I'll check in with the head chef. So the head chef will come out and uh, ask us how much we got and how much we're asking for them. So we'll generally explain it like, like oh, 20 a pound. And they'll say, all right, it's fine. I'll take this many of them. So, it, so say it works and we just like, so we essentially just hand the morels in. They'll generally have some sort of container to hold them in. Bring them back, and they'll write us a check, and we get out of there. Yeah, and we we have also in the past when we've come out of the mountains with uh, a lot, and when I say a lot, like a hundred pounds or so of morels. That's a successful trip. Um, that's a pretty successful trip. Um, this fellow that we did that. Um, that unexpected voyage with adventure, the three hour tour that turned into something more. Um, Todd Spanier, we've sold um, large quantities to him because he actually has a commercial um, operation that distributes to San Francisco and so on. And we can just give him everything. Wow. So it's not, we're driving from this restaurant or that restaurant. Um, At a lower price. Yeah. And, and so we don't make as much per unit, but um, the, the convenience and the effort is... is well, and what are the primary mushrooms that you're selling? You said morels. Are there any others? Porcinis, occasionally chanterelles. Yeah, and candy caps. Yeah, candy caps too. Those are, those are the big ones. And if we had 
you know, we have there are a couple new restaurants here in Santa Cruz that have expressed an interest in a much broader variety of species. So, um, as much as we have time for, there's other species that are quite delectable and and worthwhile, and and can be used for all sorts of different things. Like turkey tails are are pretty fantastic. Some chefs are interested in bluets, which um, have an interesting texture and there are yeah what are some of the recipes that the chefs are putting the mushrooms into um well just um, as an example yeah so the morels i know um have uh what's that pizzas yeah they put them on pizzas um for sure but the so alderwood a restaurant in town um that chef jeff um is uh re-drying them and then reconstituting them in um, a bone broth and then uh, sautéing them up um, with uh, some fat and then um, throwing a few other uh, interesting um, things on top of them, herbs and so on, and then making a container filled with them and then it's reheated and added to a dish. And... um, and morels are super earthy and and meaty and flavorful, and they complement meat dishes really well. Um, so, and, and honestly, Jasper and I have tried them a couple times from various restaurants that we sell to. Um, but our sort of big thing that we do is when we're um, camping, we eat a lot of them ourselves. Um, you can only eat so many, but um, we. Uh, we either cook them over the fire or we'll cook them in uh, bacon fat and then throw a little smoked paprika on them when they're fresh and um, a little bit of garlic powder and a little bit of smoked sea salt and um, and white pepper. Those wow, are those are our epic. favorites. And then you, we cook them until good. they're a little bit crispy. Mm. And you'll um, cook them over a fire? Uh, so... So when we saute them in bacon fat, then we'll just saute them. Right. But, um, if we're cooking them over an open fire, um, I'll use avocado oil and soy sauce, and those same that same spice combination, really lightly because you don't want to overpower yeah. them. But they're also real; they can stand up to a lot. And you said paprika. Uh, so it's smoked paprika, white pepper, a little bit of smoked sea salt, and a little bit of garlic powder. And um, and then we cook them on the open fire until the, the outer edges start to crisp up just a little bit. And the inside's really warm and meaty. And, and when they come off that fire, it's like instead of roasting marshmallows, you're roasting morels. Oh, morels are so tasty, too. As you said, epic. epic. Yeah, they're pretty. Epic. They're, the, the campfire meals get, they're pretty, it's pretty yeah. silly. Um, so, so Jasper, for, for people who are not mushroom foragers, they're hearing for the first time that you guys are selling mushrooms to... Um, some of the best restaurants in town, and they think, "Wait, isn't that dangerous? How do you know that these mushrooms aren't poisonous?" Um, what do you, what would you say to them? Is a good question. Well, <clears throat> the certain kind of mushrooms we're picking is pretty noticeable. However, there are a couple like lookalikes, good for one. The trick is just generally knowing your stuff really well. Other than that, you can't really do anything to discern them. So you have like a book and you're looking through each one which seems really really inefficient but do yeah. you feel confident uh yeah in in yeah. identifying the mushrooms that Definitely. you're selling yeah so like how would if someone asked you to describe a morel how would you describe that mushroom uh no gills there might be a little powder coming out of all the little like sockets full of it looks like full of holes and it looks really really wrinkly all right and the habitat as well 
Yeah. Um, Jasper, and, and years of experience, Jasper has been picking morels with me um, for years and years and years. Um, maybe seven years you've been doing morel hunting with me. And then um, before more. that, I was carrying him in the woods. I mean, he was looking in the in the forest and looking at um, at sunlight coming down through trees in a baby Bjorn while I was foraging mushrooms. And I would just talk to him the entire time and tell him what I was finding. And then once he could walk, we were going into the woods. And I mean, there was a really funny story. I don't even know if you remember this, but we were on county lands and this very enthusiastic couple came walking by and you were, I think, five. And they had a basket. And Jasper walked over to the couple and looked, he said, oh, can I look in your basket? And uh, he, he stuck his nose in there and started going through it. And he looked up and he said, you shouldn't eat any of these. He said, and this, this is an Amanita phylloides. It will kill you. And the couple just stood there flabbergasted. And we came over and they said, they, they, they looked at us a little bit oddly because it's not every day that a young kid busts how, out the Latin wait, name. Wait, how old was Jasper? He was about five. About five. Yeah. <laughs> He's 13 now. And and so um, I looked in and I said, oh, oh yeah, no, he's absolutely right. Uh, if you're taking these to the fungus fair for show and tell or to ask, great, but don't put any of these anywhere near your mouth. Wow. And did they know? They had no idea what they were doing. Whoa. Yeah. They had no idea. That so, is so crazy. It is pretty crazy. And, you know, the, the hunting process with the two of us, the, the, the foraging process, we're really meticulous about quality. So... We see, even when we harvest five, six, seven hundred particular individual mushrooms, we see each one of them three times before a handoff. And that is the harvest, and then the triage and separation. That's the second time. And then the third time is the delivery, where I go through again and with Jasper to make sure that nothing untoward has slipped in that there isn't any duff in there there isn't aren't leaves or twigs we don't want to give them any of that because then it looks like you're packing your product with extra weight and it makes more labor for them so um, if you're going to sell to really high quality restaurants it's you need to they be want, really meticulous yeah they and want high quality meticulous yeah for sure like i'd say probably the most important part is while you're hunting them it's just each one you want to break off the very bottom, right? Because yeah. that's where a bunch of dirt is. Yeah. And most restaurants hate it when you leave the tips on in the bottom. Because yeah. it's just a bunch of extra work for them. And it's easiest to do it there while you're still harvesting them instead of going through each one after you're already done. Right. And having to do it then. So they appreciate the meticulous work before they identify them themselves. Absolutely. Our Definitely. motto is leave the forest in the forest. <laughs> so... It's a good and, motto. And you're just picking fruit otherwise. Yeah. Um, and how much do uh, morels go for? At the beginning of the season, maybe 25, 30 bucks. A pound. For a pound. A pound. Yeah. yeah. Later on, 15. Yeah, it's dropped as low. The lowest price we've ever gotten was uh, six a pound, and that was in Montana. Yeah, and it was for grays as well. Yeah, it was for it really was, high quality mushrooms. That was in like July, though. In, in, in California, those mushrooms, it was a little bit of a macroeconomics experience for Jasper. Right. <laughs> because in California, those mushrooms, Jasper looked at me and he said, Dad, we'd get $20 a pound at least for these in California. Well, what an amazing uh, business 
uh, lesson for you to be able to negotiate with um, with with restaurants and as well as see how a product will go for a different price in different areas. Well, I mean, it's pretty neat. I mean, so f- for sure over the years, I'd say I've gotten like a sense for how much a price would be for a pound. Like later on the season, earlier on the season, it's a pretty helpful skill to do when dealing with restaurants. Like, otherwise, if you don't, like some restaurants will say like fifteen a pound when they should be like twenty five. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, I'd say, an important skill if you're planning on selling. Mm. And what do you like about mushroom hunting? Just fun. I've always enjoyed like finding things that other people don't see, mm. and it's just like kind of in line with that. Plus, like, making a profit out of it. And it's amazing just, like, finding them, picking them up, and, like, collecting them and seeing how much you have. Yeah. All right. So, And you wind, you wind up being being outdoors. For me, spending the time with my son outside and doing this adventurous, uh, educational, and really fun thing and where we get to eat really well out of it as well. Sure. Um, and, and just see uh, like jasper said you get to see things that you might not otherwise see yeah even even here in town to all all the way out in the sierras i mean we do these weekend trips in the springtime out to the sierras for morels and i think more fondly on that than most of any trip that i've taken yeah yeah you took me out uh mushroom hunting in, here in santa cruz to a spot that i had never been and it's um a good reminder that even if you're still in a place that you feel very familiar with, there's still um, aspects of it that you don't notice. Yeah. And that you can always discover new aspects of something that seems uh, very familiar. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the case. So, I want to hear about this trip. Yeah. Well. So, this was, uh, when, when did this happen? Oh, uh, last summer. And where were you? Spicer Reservoir up in the which mountains was it? Um, Sierra Nevada. Yeah, Sierra Nevada, yeah. of course. Okay. okay. On the Donnell Fire. Um, yeah. yeah. And what was your mission? What were you going for uh, when you were on this trip? Uh, we meant it only as a couple-hour scouting trip across the reservoir. Yeah, we had to take a boat across the reservoir because the, where the fire was was really inaccessible otherwise. Yeah, it didn't really go as planned. Um, so what does a scouting mission uh, entail? Well, we knew we were a little early in the season. Um, I mean, it was late in the season, but it was early for this area because of the altitude and how much snow there was in, in the mountains that last um, spring. And so we didn't really expect to hit it super big. Um, and uh, it was potential, but maybe p- also planning to come back the following weekend or the weekend after um, just to suss out the environment. Um, and that's so. And the okay. scouting mission also is you pack lightly. Um, you, we we went in with. I had shorts on and a t-shirt. A, I had a day pack, walkie talkies, a water filter. Walkie talkies um, are always pretty important. Yeah, between the two of you guys, between the two of us, yeah, we have two yeah. walkie talkies. And our buddy Todd Spanier was with us, and uh, you know he's six foot seven. He's the Ray de Fungi, and his business is awesome. They supply that's that's the business that supplies um, all over in in the Bay Area, and um, he and I've been uh, tag teaming mushroom hunting spots 
for for a little while. Um, and um, anyway, uh, yeah, we were we were gonna go in for about four hours, uh, three and a half hours, and suss out the habitat. And it was in the afternoon. We knew we weren't gonna stick around for that long. Um, at least that was our intention. That was the intention. Okay. Yeah. We got dropped off at 2.30 by this guy, um, this friend of his, this fellow named Jim, who was just going to go fishing on the reservoir. He had a tank top on and yeah. had all the permits in place to be on the on the reservoir to go fishing and stuff. And this, uh, the snowpack had just melted back and the campground was open and so on. So we so got dropped off. Dropped you off. Uh, you got your day packs. Mm-hmm. You're walking around. And left a walkie-talkie with Jim. And, uh, and then Todd had a walkie-talkie. He gave... Todd gave Jim one of his walkie-talkies, and Jasper and I had ours. And Todd had a filter and uh, a duffel bag with fill, filled with some stuff. That he dropped, and we just went scouting. So, and Jasper had a, I think, you had maybe had a sweatshirt and pants. I didn't have a sweatshirt. No, you had a t-shirt and pants. And, yeah, I was yeah. lucky to have sweatpants. Yeah, as we'll figure out later. Yeah. All right. Uh, the audience is on the edge of their seats, yeah. gentlemen. So um, you, you start walking out, then what? So um, so we were just like essentially just scouting around, right? Well, if we just stop the podcast right here. Like, hey, great having you guys <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you all next week. <laughs> that would be terrible. I think that would have, that would have the Don't opposite that. effect. People you want people to, yeah, people get really frustrated. All right. So uh, at like maybe six, seven... It's like 6.30. Yeah, 6.30, right? P.M. Yeah, yeah PM. P.M. So we're at four hours. Yeah, about four hours. We started heading back, right? But what ended up happening is, so we got back to where uh, the boat was or was supposed to be. Oh, that was at 8.30. We oh, got that was back 8.30. To the, yeah, at 6.30 we had called Jim yeah, up into the reservoir because it's line of sight, right? So we have the walkie-talkies are line of sight. So we yeah. could see all the way down the reservoir. We had scouted about, we did about six miles and, and we could see all the way down the reservoir and um, we had our walkie-talkies and um, I was using mine and... and um, also, uh, Todd was on a different bluff and using his. And what? Well, you, you remember what, what what happened, Jazz? At that point, what so, did we hear from Jim? We were radioing Jim, and so we got our signal out. And this is what we heard from Jim. That's right. That nothing. Okay. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> All right. So at this point, Ooh, like, it's got an eye for suspense. I like yeah. it. Okay. So, so, you, so you weren't hearing back at from this the sky. point. I was a little like it was getting kind of late. It was like six thirty. I was just like six forty five. We're yeah, in the woods. Six forty five. We're like I'm like at the end of a reservoir. Yeah. Right. Miles away from where we got dropped off. Yeah. Because you so guys been like, walking this whole way. Yeah. He was supposed to pick us up like where yeah. we wound up. Right. Yeah. So I was like, oh no, what if what if he doesn't pick us up? Yeah. So we uh uh. How many, how many miles had you been hiking? Would you say like did about six, six, six miles? Okay. Six miles. Right, so I was like, oh, Dad, I'm not, I really don't want to stay the night. That would suck. Yeah, and 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 I, and I remember really clearly, Jim. There was just silence. It was getting dark, and Jim was gonna, you know, he would have to row into this part. So. Um, because there's a line in the reservoir where you can't actually run a motor, and so, but we could see, and there was no, we we couldn't see anybody coming. And Jasper said, wait, so if he's not answering, what, is this, what does this mean? And I said, well, 
there's one of two things. Either we're going to walk back tonight or we're going to hike back to around where we were, um, got dropped off, and um, we're going to have to spend the night and hopefully he comes and picks us up in the morning. And I remember this moment so clearly. Jasper's jaw kind of dropped and he looked at me and he said, I don't want to do either one of those. And I, and, and I looked at him and I said, you know what, dude? Me neither. But we don't really have any say at this point about what, 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 what happens in that regard. All we can do now is figure out what the best, safest way for us to deal with the, the, the coming hours is going to be. And, um, and, uh, Jasper and I had a couple conversations at that point. You remember, remember what we, remember what we uh, talked about? At that point, I was just kind of like a little frazzled. Cause like I was faced with the reality that I did, this is going to be a long, long walk. Yeah. Cause at that point we decided we we're going to walk or at least, and then attempt to radio gym closer. At yeah. uh, that was when I just kind of broke a little. Yeah. So. Broke I'm, is in. Yeah. What after, do you mean? After, uh, like, I don't know, I was crying a bit. Yep. Sitting there. So, my dad convinced me to get up. <laughs> so I did. I had a grapefruit and a bar. And I decided that I was going to make it out of there alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we. Remember what we started talking about for a little bit? Video games. Yeah, we started talking about video games for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. A lot longer than that. Yeah, or a little longer. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, one of the, the big things was stay calm. If we freak out. Uh, that's, what, that's what I did. If we I, freak- I was just like, Dad, talk to me about something, anything. Yep. <laughs> it was good. You were letting me know what was going on in your head. That was the best thing you could do. And it worked. Yeah. And so... Jasper, he calmed himself down. Actually, it was it was amazing. I said really between he and I, it was the only dangerous thing was if we freak out. No freaking out. So uh, Todd rejoined us from the Outlook where he was, and we hiked all the way back to the drop off sp- spot. And it was about eight forty five, maybe close to nine, and we were about 500 feet up from the drop-off spot, looking down on the reservoir and trying to see Jim. And there was no, couldn't... Nothing. No boats. No no boats anywhere. And so... Um, is it uh, dark by now? It, it was not dark. No, no, it's, it was actually pretty late. It got dark at like 9? 9.30. 9.30? Um, 9.30-ish, yeah. Right, but it was definitely twilight and it getting was, darker. Yeah, and we're, you know, at this point, we're like 7,000 feet up. 6,800 feet and um, I had um, we had the walkie talkies my walkie talkies have a light on them a lithium oh, yeah. ion battery we had two walkie talkies those things were the best they had working flashlights yeah. what kind are they? good oh, ones gosh. Cobra it was like yeah Cobra, what, what, Cobra. Cobra we got them yeah. in Montana actually right. yeah we Cobra, got them in Montana Cobra. I spent a little before, extra right? for the rechargeables okay is there a model? Um, I can't it. remember the model okay. but they're rechargeable yeah. and we've used them over and over again and the battery life is super long yeah like at the end of the whole thing it was at two bars maybe I'm gonna get yeah. these guys to sponsor on my podcast that's yeah. awesome <laughs> they, they were they were amazing uh, I, mean, I mean when someone comes across a really good product I love preaching it 
because yeah. it's so it's such a gift to be able to give to someone oh else, especially oh, when, sure. when you're out in a situation like that. It's the you perfect really, thing to have. Yeah, you want your stuff to work. Yeah, Jasper and right? I. I mean, we go into the woods with walkie talkies and generally stay. Um, you know, it, the woods can make things silent. You can be 300 feet away or 300 yards away from somebody and be whistling and yelling. And if there's a bunch of trees in the way in a hillside, then might not hear you. Yeah. So that's why we have walkie talkies. And, um, and Todd had his cell phone with a, a, a map on it. And usually I, I carry a, a hard copy map um, or I have uh, my cell phone with a map. But my cell phone was acting For some all reason. weird. Yeah. The map that we were using. Were you using on X? on X? Usually yeah. on X is just, I love that thing. And yeah. for some reason, none of my map apps were loading up on my phone. And you sent him an angry email. Oh, God. <laughs> did I, I did. But, you know, it's in, I don't know if it was, I, I, I don't, I think it might have been a hardware problem. Mm. Um, but I, I can't really say. Yeah. It's, um, or maybe phone, you need to download it beforehand. I did. You did I, download oh, yeah. it beforehand. I always do. Yeah. And and now I download on three different maps right. before we go. And I take a, a hard Use copy. Google Maps as well? Yeah. So that and Gaia GPS. Mm. I haven't used Gaia. Yeah. But I use Hunter X for, for hunting. And that's Onyx. Onyx. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I use Onyx and it's, it's great. Um, it, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but that works with airplane yeah. mode. Right. I mean, you can be on airplane mode, battery saving mode. It's fantastic. Yeah, because it'll still track your movement when you're walking around. And if you want to set up game cams or I'm guessing for you guys uh, foraging mushrooms, yep. you can set that little X spot and, and we, then go find it, find it pretty easily. And we always do. We always lay down tracks. Yeah. And Todd was using all trails. And I had lay, started yeah. laying down tracks, which is the why we know how long right. we were hiking for. Yeah. So you, um, so you use all... But I couldn't see it. It wasn't showing up. Ooh. Um, fortunately, I had studied the maps of this area for hours, just looking at like different um, climate zones and elevations and so on. And so had Todd. And um, when all of our technology was on on its wit and Todd's phone had gone down later on, mm. we still were able to orient. I mean, mountains are there, the sun, you know, the orientation of the sun and so on. But, you know, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're, so we're up at the top of this, this precipice overlooking the reservoir, and I can whistle super loudly to the point where my own ears ring. And so we're up there, and I said, ah, I'm just going to whistle and see if I can get any, oh, God, any yelling. This. So I whistled, and the whole reservoir reverberated with it. And not five seconds later, what, what <sighs> responded? Bears. And the, uh, uh, just about four or 500 yards away from us, just on this, this incline down the rocks in the, across this little valley on the other hillside. And so I whistled again. And then what do we hear again? <sighs> Bears again. And Jasper looks at me all wide-eyed, and I'm like, oh, you know what? They're black bears, buddy. They're big like raccoons. Big raccoons. We're we're golden. I am not worried about black bears. Great comparison, right there. If we were in Montana, this would be a completely different story. But black bears, I, I, we're good. I'm not worried. So another another fear like conquered. Yeah. Um, and we proceeded from there so it's like you know 9 39 45 we had a little powwow todd jasper and i we're like we're gonna walk it we're gonna walk back because we don't know what happened to jim did he get hurt like where is he um and and it would be spending the night where we are and we're not rigged up for that so 
we figured, oh, we could probably do it if we stuck to the old trail, which had already been burned out and there was slash all in the way because this was a burn zone. Might be 10, 12 miles. Um, and in the dark, um, after a fire has come through, there's no navigating this at night. And at 12 o'clock, was it, Jasper? 12.15? Yeah, 12. We decided to yeah. Oh, because we were actually... It was 12.15 when you decided to walk back. No, that no. was when we stopped when walking. When you stopped walking. Yeah. Got it. We had a bunch of false turns and looked over the edge and we're like, oh, that's a 20-foot drop. This is kind of dangerous. Let's not take this route. Right. Um, because there wasn't a moon out or anything and we had flashlights. No, the moon didn't come out to like one. It was it was, like, yeah, it was pretty late. Like, yeah, it was... So, yeah. Why couldn't the moon just come out a little early? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we... We... Uh, we... We did happen to have in Todd's duffel bag a tarp that he mercifully we brought. We were lucky. And it was for laying out mushrooms to dry. Yeah, ultimately. Um, oh, and we had a mosquito there. net. And a mosquito a net. Really, really big mosquito net. Yep. And so we threw the that mosquito net over the top of us. We threw a tarp around us, and we all snuggled up for uh, four good hours. Four hours, and I, think I was each the of us. one who got the most sleep. I got an hour. Yeah. We got visited by bears in the middle of the night. They had to get Black up bears. and make some noise. Yep. Get up and jumped up and ran around. Made Did some you see them? Uh, I couldn't see them. Yeah, but they were, they were you close could hear them. They were yeah. within like thirty feet of us. Yeah, they were boom, 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 and and like, you could hear the sniffing. So you threw uh, the um, tarp around you and then the mosquito net. Yeah, we were all uh, like first huddled up, first. right? Yeah, like a burrito. We were all huddled yeah. up. We had so we had, uh, tried to wrap the tarp under and around us as much as possible. We. Took off our jackets, tried to use those as blankets as well. How cold did it get? Well, I didn't uh, have a jacket. I uh, Todd yeah, t- did. Todd had two jackets. Um, the, with the wind, it dropped 40. to like low forties. Um, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, and we um we were near some rocks, so we were somewhat protected, but not not great. Yeah. And did, how did you uh, navigate where you wanted to sleep? What was your well, strategy? I mean, we then? were just walking. We found a nice open spot with plenty of ash on the ground. A couple Flat of rocks. Place that, a place that, because this area is like, there's stuff down all over. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, the idea of building a fort sounds great and building a, a lean-to or something. <laughs> well, but we'd already been hiking for 10 hours and it was dark. We're all super cold and, um, and, pretty hard to see and there's a bunch of stuff down everywhere so just finding a flat spot where we could lie down was like the number one thing we knew it wasn't going to get that cold it's not wasn't supposed to drop to freezing but so um, it got pretty cold though it got cold when like you're we lying all just dirt. like yeah chattering like all next to each other underneath the tarp and jasper do you remember uh what the conversation was in your head when you're you know tarped up going to sleep I hope I get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How scared were you at that point? I wasn't actually that scared. Like, the one time I felt I was, like, a little nervous was when we had a black bear, like, really close to us. Yeah. And they had to go up and, like, run around and, like, blah, 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 you know? Mm. Did you have any kind of... But but it sounded like earlier in the night you decided, all right, we're going to get ourselves out, yeah, of, out of this. Yeah, I, I just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. So, right? so how were you able to... Um, stick to that mindset for such a long period of time. Just talking a lot. Talking a lot. Yeah. yeah, we we talked we talked a lot, 
and and we talked about where we were and how to navigate and you know at at some point I think it was I think it was the next morning because we got up at around four forty five. The moon was out, was bright. We weren't sleeping anymore, and we just all looked at each yeah, other. We're like, we're let's freezing. Get let's <laughs> get up and just start going. Yeah. And right. at this point, with the moon out, you could see pretty well. Um, and so we started moving again. I remember Jasper looked back at me at maybe it was six o'clock in the morning. Eh, earlier. And he, yeah, and he said to me, Dad, this is one of those life milestones, isn't it? And I said, yes. If anybody asks you what you did with your summer, you have a story to tell. Um, and, um, and so anyway, uh, he, in the moment, it definitely seemed to me that Jasper was cognizant of, of the, that this is a, a special experience. This is not something that's... Like, <laughs> that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And was there a moment for you up at this point where it felt the most intense? Um, I, are are you asking me, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you, Randy. Um, you know, the moment when Jasper got a little wide-eyed at around 645 at the epiphany that we weren't going to get picked up, that felt like the, the, the serious pivot point. And I knew, I, Jasper, I knew you had it in you. It's, it just, for me to make sure that you knew I knew and yeah. that we were going to pull this off. And, um, and, and at that moment, like once you came, came down from being pretty con- reasonably concerned about our situation, um, I, I felt like we, we got this. Like we can do, we could do 20 miles. I know we can. The kids hiked. I mean, at that point we'd already done five trips in the Sierras He'd already slogged 30 pounds out of the forest with me on a number of occasions um, and and spent four, five, six hours on his feet in a day, um, day in and day out. And, uh, and so I knew he, he was like trained up for it. He, this is not, this is not, we didn't go, we didn't go into this with, uh, the, you know, the, I, our, not knowing what we were getting into. Um, I didn't expect us to wind up in this situation that we were in. Um, but that pivot point right there, it was reached pretty early on. And the rest of it was, okay, now it's just one foot in front of the other. And when you guys got back up uh, from a little, the little bit of sleep that you had, did you know where you were? Yeah. And you knew the path to get back out. Yes. Mostly. And the goal here is to meet your friend now at the place that that he dropped you off. No, so we were already well past well that. Well past that. To, yeah. To the next Yeah, we were going to go to the edge of the reservoir and try and radio him again and do that at around 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, if you and if he didn't answer then, did then you? We had, a way, we had a way forward. Actually, okay. we knew that, that, that at the bottom of the reservoir, there was a trail uh, over to a road that I had actually driven down to check out. Like We had surveyed this area to check out to see if... Um, you know, there's road access to that point. And there, there was with a little asterisk that I, I didn't account for, but you know, that's, um, so, um, yeah, we, we knew where we were going right. and it was just slow going because the trail that was there before the fire was just wrecked, but you could see where the fire crews had gone through. They had tied little red tape and we paid attention to that, but, um, 
the red tape was so helpful. Yeah, and where trees had been cut, you knew that people had gone right. through there. And that was all all happened um, at when the fire was on on its Got way it. out. So that uh, but we were for sure the first people had done this trail in, since the fire in the previous fall. Sure. So So you're um, walking. Um, now after it's still dark out, but you're continuing to walk after your nap. Yep. And what, what next? And so, um, do you remember, so we, Jasper, do you remember at around eight o'clock or so when we came around the corner, do you remember the first thing that we saw that, that like that moment of, Oh my gosh. Oh, that's right. Rewind a bit to four, to about four o'clock. Oh, okay. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to explain something. Okay. So, I remember that spot clearly right after we had, uh, like, decided we're not going to get any sleep. Yeah. We got up. I just resolved, so, like, they gave me the tarp so I could, like, huddle up around it. So, I was that. I was, like, I was plenty warm. Like, I was, I definitely wasn't going to freeze anytime soon. And right there, I just decided this is just going to be one big hike. I'm probably going to see some cool stuff. Yeah. So, turns out that was true. And the one thing I hated about that height was mosquitoes. There were a lot of mosquitoes. mosquitoes. But where there are mosquitoes, there are mushrooms because there's water. Wasn't a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. So, you deal with the mosquitoes quite a bit on your, your uh, trips out there? Well, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, I was just like running around, smack, smack. Just like yeah. whacking them off Todd's back. All right. I had a big, like, Mosquito jacket. We did have mosquito Canada. repellent and sunblock and hats and yeah. didn't work like that. that well. All right, now, my dad's so, so shoulders. Eight, 8 a.m. We gotta fin- we gotta wrap. We gotta finish this story. Yeah. I'm Sorry. I still need to know what's okay. happening. Okay, at eight o'clock we come around the corner and what did we see? A spirit bear, an yeah. albino black bear, baby, pink, pink eyes, wasn't full grown, just staring at us on from these rocks, maybe a hundred yards away from us, just looking at us. And my dad got his phone real quick and got a. Quick shot of his blurry posterior. Yeah, I got, I got, I got a bear butt photo. <laughs> and a, an albino black bear. Albino yeah. black bear. Wow. Have but you ever seen one of those before? I've nope. never, never <laughs> seen Definitely one not. Before. Yeah, for sure, no. And and we got a really good look at it. And I didn't take out my phone at first just because I wanted to bathe in the moment. And we just stood there. And it stood there. And it looked at us. And it just kind of sauntered away. And it was super beautiful. Um, and not... Maybe 45 minutes later, we saw a slightly bigger black bear. Um, it, was, it was a cub still. Yeah, it's, but yeah, uh, it's not. Still pretty um, cool, though. Anyway, it, it was also just grazing and kind of sauntered away. Um, I would love to see an albino, albino black bear It was one pretty day. cool. That is so cool. It was amazing. It, it, was, it, was, it was totally amazing. And, and you know, I, I at this point, Todd's all maps and phone had died um i put my phone on um this super duper power saving mode um you can turn your phone into an epurb apparently what's an epurb um it's i forget what the thing stands for but it's basically an oh crap button mm. to where you send out and have a, a, emergency services come and, and rescue you it turns into like a beacon um and at least uh, that's what it looked like on on, on is my it phone. an iPhone setting? No, it's a, so it's my this. I have a Samsung. Okay, um, not the blow up kind. And um, the um, uh, but on power saving mode, it's still a, 
allows you to have this functionality for like this super duper emergency call. Got it. Um, but it's not, it's like not an, even it's, a it's, phone call. It's, it's not like, like an beacon. app or anything. No, Got it's it. like just a sure. It's like emergency a call. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's not just even an emergency call. It's like an it's a it sends out an like an emergency distress. Got it. Um, but I put my phone, and I don't know how well it would work because it's not like I had cell reception or anything. But Anyway, I, just in case, I put my phone on the most power-saving mode ever. And this is at this point where um, my phone stopped functioning as uh, also a, um, a, a mapping, like trail uh, mapper, like mapping our footsteps so we're not laying down tracks anymore. And that was at, I think, mile 16 when I went back and looked at it. So we're like, that was at about 6.30 or 7 in the morning that I did that. Um and then we saw those those bears where you know we knew our orientation and so on, but I also knew we're moving pretty slowly um, because it's just hard to get through a lot of this territory. Um, and Jasper was in this clearing heading up to the reservoir, um, and and all of a sudden here's this this screech, and uh, you remember what happened then, Jazz? Yeah, it was like this huge bald eagle like how big would you say the wingspan was oh, big it's hard to say oh it's five feet bigger yeah it was big i don't know bigger than, wow bigger than five feet wingspan for sure because it was like really big flew at jasper and over his head by like 10 feet just above his head pretty sweet screaming and and flew by and it we were just what like no way! <laughs> That's and so cool. We had just made like this one thousand foot climb up out of this valley up to the to the towards the reservoir, and Jasper, uh, along the way, was throwing snowballs at me from the snow that because along the north facing side. And at this point, when he's throwing snowballs at me, I'm like, "We're gonna make it." The kids like goofing around, having fun, and and frankly, it felt really good to have him just be playing and dropping snow on me because it was starting to get kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then he, and then, and then we had this moment with this bald eagle and, um, and then we kept up, uh, kept on hiking and got up to the edge of the reservoir so we could see the water and Todd and Jasper and I called and it was eight thirty nine at this point. And I got onto our, our, the, the line that we had, um, the number that we had designated, Jim, you, did you hear me? And I, he's like, yeah, I got it. I got, I, I, batteries went dead. Holy smokes. I'm so happy to hear from you guys. And just hearing his voice was, it was was delightful. Just like a moment of unanimous excitement. Just like, yeah, Jim. Woo. (laughs) And, and at this point he, he was getting ready to drop the boat back in and he, he had explained briefly on, on the, the CB. And this, this is clear to me that he had pulled up because the wind had started ripping down through the reservoir pretty hard, um, in the evening. And, um, he also only had a tank top and whatnot, but it was also getting dark. So it was getting a little unsafe for him to be out there as well. Um, and, uh, um, because navigating in, in the dark. inappropriately yeah. attired in the dark without like a light on your boat or anything like that's also kind of dangerous yeah so um that's why he'd pulled the plug and he didn't didn't get a hold of him because his batteries had gone out on his phone on his um on his uh walkie-talkie and just silly of us we didn't have backup batteries for him and apparently nobody in the campground had backup batteries either right so he had to go on this hundred mile road trip 
where he went driving around to go get batteries and no then come back. Way. So so yeah. he so his batteries died and that's why he missed the pickup spot. Yes, exactly. He had no pulled one... out at like just 15 minutes before we had gotten there. Is right. basically what we found out from him. Um and um and you know he 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 was a, I think psychologically he he was not stoked. He, I'm sure. He was like my buddy a dad and his son spent the night in the woods. Like, I don't know where, I don't know if I should call emergency services or whatnot. And Todd and I are like, you know, hoping he didn't call them because it's really expensive. Yeah. And, and, you know, we knew we were getting out. It's just going to be yeah. uncomfortable. Right. And yeah. So, it's a perfect situation because it's all psychological danger. Unless is. you do something really stupid. Unless somebody like a broken ankle or something right. slipped on something, then it's all like, oh, then crap. it's a whole, it's a, a totally whole different, different situation. Yeah. And that usually happens if you panic. That's exactly Which is why it's so dangerous to panic. Which is why also just so many situations that seem really dangerous are only dangerous if you can't manage your mind. That's exactly correct. Um and and so this this is a, a point actually in the story where it's very clear to me in retrospect that we made a huge mistake because we should have had him come over to where near to where we were at the top of the reservoir and pick us up on the boat. And instead we said, Oh, we'll just, it'll be easier. You don't have to drop the boat. You can pick us up at the bottom of the reservoir. We had remembered a a bridge and a trail. Um, and he drove down and, and confirmed that, um, that he had seen that. And so we decided to hike down to the bottom of the reservoir. You remember, Jasper, what we saw when we got down to the bottom of the reservoir, which is about a thousand foot drop down to that little valley. You remember what we saw where the trail was supposed to be? Uh, yeah. As it turned out, like one of the few times in the year, what's what's it called? I think it was the third or fourth time in the in the the reservoir's history, the spillway. Yeah, spillway. Had been Spillways opened. was opened, and and I, well, I'm not a hundred percent sure it had been open um, when we had driven down, but the spillway was open, and where their trail was supposed to be was about a maybe a seventy five yard raging river. Whoa! And so yeah. you kind of thought it was it was over. I thought you, it was over. I thought, thought we were going to get picked up right away, yeah. and we got down to the bottom of the reservoir. And we stopped, and Todd looked at it, and I, and I looked at it, and I said, we have to hike back up and go get picked up at the top. And Todd and Jasper looked at me and said, we're not going back up. They were... It, it was, toasted. Yeah, toasted. I mean, this is 10.30 now. I was okay. 10.30 yeah, a.m. 10.30 a.m., and it's um, now almost, oh gosh, what, 20 hours Um into our adventure and and Todd said we gotta swim it and I just looked at that river and I was like there is no way my son is going across that river swimming that I could is, probably do it I, I think you maybe could have done it but I definitely was, could have done it I love you I love yeah. that <laughs> I, I was just like after what we just did and Todd said well you know I, I could swim it and I was thinking, oh, I gotta stay around with my son. And I mean, Todd's like he's three and a half years out, ca- cancer survivor. He used to be a really good swimmer and free diver and so on. I'm like, what, 
Yeah, he had, I think he had stage four cancer. I mean, everything is just a gift to this man. He's just a wonderful human being to hang out with, and I love him to death. Um, but Jasper looked at me and he's like, "Dad, you should do it." <laughs> and and um, you know, I, I that's what I that's what I needed to hear yeah, because I knew it wasn't like solid props from the boy. I yeah, do and it, I didn't do it, pops. You got this exactly. I I needed to hear that, and also like that he would be okay with me leaving. Like here we are, we twenty hours in, and it's like he's still mentally good. So, um, I, I, I stripped down t- to my boxers. Um, Thank and goodness they didn't come off in the river. Yeah, they didn't come off in the river. <laughs> and um, I we put would have made the story better though. Would have made the story better, <laughs> maybe a little. And I, and and I before before I stri- I should say before I stripped down to my boxers I had I ran down the river by about three quarters of a mile to make sure that there wasn't a waterfall if there weren't ra- class four rapids that were right there that if I should get swept into like I'm gonna drown or free fall like another thousand feet or uh, you know whatever so and there was none of that it was just kind of quick moving river and so I was pretty golden just had to get across and so. Um, I identified a, a landing spot on the other side, and I swam across in my underwear with a my car key in my, a Ziploc bag in my mouth, and um, and got to the other side, and then went in my underwear with this car key, walking through the forest with it a bunch a, of painful pine cones. About, They're like yeah. tiny little painful pine cones. I swear, I hated those things. <laughs> it was it, when it wasn't far. It was maybe a three, four, five hundred yards, something like that, out to the road. But I had to go meander through this forest. And as I come out onto the road for this the reservoir that the where people come down and there's like a bridge there that leads to the trail that's now covered by a raging river, these two completely decked out uh, cyclists in the racing spandex and the blades and everything come roaring down as I come walking up. And pop the brakes and just stop and look at me. And I'm in my boxers, my wet boxers. I'm covered with stuff from the forest, (laughs) from the, from the river. I have, I have like debris from, Uh. from the river still on me. And I look at them and I said, I'm not going to explain this to you. I'm so glad to be here right now. And I turned and just walked away. Didn't look at them. I didn't. I, I couldn't imagine what was going on in their head. They just stared at me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, Jim had pulled up. He was in there in his car and super grateful to see me and everything else. And um, and I I had gone across early because I had brought an inflatable stand up paddleboard. I usually carry one if we're going around bodies of water. And I was like, I'll go get that. And I'll paddle back across, and we can get everybody across safely. So um, we go back to my van, and uh, I have to admit, as a, a, a coffee fiend, um, my, my, uh, my head was throbbing. I had a little bit of a caffeine withdrawal thing going. <laughs> and so I grabbed a cup of coffee um, that was already made in the refrigerator, I grabbed some water, some snacks for Jasper and the inflatable sup and turned around and, and changed clothes, put some trunks on, all in like, I think I pulled it all off in like five minutes, and we drove back. It was a lot more than five minutes. Though. No, it, it <laughs> in the car. Yeah, it took more than five minutes, but Whew. 
God damn. What a fun experience. And uh, paddle back and forth. Yeah. Okay. And it wound up working. Yeah. No casualties. So, no casualties. <laughs> and did had you guys, uh, did you have mushrooms on you this whole time or no? Uh, maybe like 20 morels. Okay. Like Not an incidental, what the Wouldn't forest matter. service calls it. You went back to Alderwood, you're like, these cost more. Yeah, <laughs> no, we we I think we cooked them up that night. Yeah, but we we got back and um, I wrote down the experience immediately. Jasper ate a little bit of food and um, a lot of food. Yeah, played some video games and relaxed. Yeah, just to de- decompress. And I took like a three hour nap. And then and looking over my phone when I charged it back up again and mapping out what we did, I realized that we did. 22 miles in 22 hours. Not bad. Which is what we're calling the experience now. That is 22 miles in 22 hours. Yep. Man. I, so here's here's my question. Uh, and and this is uh, something that I, I'm just really interested in. You know, from, from father to son, you're taking your boy out on these amazing adventures um, that some people would deem too risky. Um, how do you think about and manage risk um that's a really good question you probably just try to think about what could go wrong in like any situation and plan for it yeah generally seems to work but i guess we just weren't thinking enough before this yeah like what we did is when we wrote it down we literally just like wrote things and circled things that we did well and things that we did badly oh you did yes yeah like the one thing we did well was bring a water purifier. Yeah. So you had enough water the whole time. Yeah, yeah. water was never an issue. Food was an issue. Food was an issue. We had a bit of trail bu- trail mix, a bar, to cool. a couple bars, and a grapefruit. Yeah. So how have you changed your setup now, if at all? We're going to bring a bunch of light blankets. Light blankets. Yeah, so the, it's really easy. I used to carry these things with yeah. me the silver, on international yeah, travels. Yeah, the silver yeah, uh, wrap- emergency blankets. Yeah, and... And um, and now I I I pack them. Yeah, I, I put a little more in that in that day pack just just in case stuff really goes south. I mean, it feels like um, for me, uh, you know, we had a, had this plan. We've been doing this for quite a number of years now, and doing these loops in places that are frankly more dangerous in Montana with like grizzly bears and everything else. And we'd been doing. Um, Lots of trips like this, and so, um, and and I, I with Jasper, he and I have been doing it for so long, and started at such small bite-sized levels, where we would go out for forty-five minutes and go mushroom hunting, and then an hour, and then an hour and a half, and um, and we would go a little bit further and a little bit further as the years go went on, and so, um, Jasper's very responsible uh, with. Um, with himself and with risk and safety assessment, he's not doing wild things like leaping from boulder to boulder and with big drops. And, and so there's a certain trust that I have in him. And, um, and I have to say my risk threshold is actually fairly low. Um, in, in, and I'm sure it doesn't sound that way probably to some people who might be listening right now, but, um, I, I never, put us in a place where I don't know where we are. I, that even if everything goes down, the reason why I studied the maps 
was in case everything went wrong. I just I I needed to bring even more Good food. Job, Dad. No. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I sit down with a lot of people who are big wave surfers or spear fishermen, or you know, they do things that seem really dangerous, but. I would make the argument that most of them are very well balanced and have a, a fairly low risk threshold. Except for big wave um, surfers. Those guys are crazy. Yeah, not really. I mean, not someone like Greg Long, who yeah. that dude covers his bases in the same way that uh, you guys are covering yours. You know, you're asking every possible question of what could go wrong and how are we going to manage those risks as efficiently as possible. Yeah, I, I, I thought I had brought. Uh, you know, I did bring extra food. Yeah. We ran out of food in the morning at like nine o'clock or eight o'clock. Um, we were okay. But, and, and so food wasn't a serious issue. But really, honestly, even on the three hour tour, like the Gilligan's Island reference aside, I, I, th- I think it's, I, and now it seems obvious to me, but the extra two pounds just in case you're going to spend the night in the woods, like, of course. Yeah. That was silly of me. Like and and um, it's it just yeah. Do you ever bring f- uh, first aid on your trips? Oh yeah. What yeah, kind of first aid? Definitely. What's your what's your pack? Band aids. <laughs> I have um a li- I have a little um a pack that's gosh it's maybe six by six by three that's filled with wraps, painkillers. Um, I have uh um steri strips. Um, I have. Uh, water, further water purifiers um, in there uh, in case something were to go wrong with our water filter. Um, and uh, what what else is in there? Some scissors, a few, few other uh, odds and ends like that. Um, oh, and... Uh, scissors for what? Uh, cutting things off. Yep. Yeah. Um, not like a toe or a limb. Yeah, hopefully, but hopefully, cutting, not. Oh, cutting, hopefully no major appendages. Maybe you know, a toe. Well, I have tape for wrapping up <laughs> wrapping up a wound, um, yeah. and and you got to cut that, you know, cut the tape off, or if some skin is dangling awkwardly, I mean, yeah. if you had to do that or dig like something out, um, and a heat source, um, but you know, starting a fire in an area where there was a fire and that that didn't seem to make. I mean, it's Total okay, sense. it was, yeah. but there was it's also pretty wet still in places it just was not happening yeah fire idea but you know i do have a it's a pretty it's a light first aid kit yeah so yeah they have really great compact they're first really aid, great ones uh cases you know. i i have one that's it's fairly small it's like um you know six by six cube that is um it was actually made by a surf photographer named dj strunz and um i think it's gosh i'm i'm just spacing on the brand name of it, but yeah. um, it I just it I throw it in a backpack wherever I go if it's on a surf trip or anything like that. And I think about a lot of times like, you know, some of these places I'd go surf where you walk even a couple miles in and oh, God, there's yeah. sharks out there and just thinking, huh, all right, what is gonna happen if one of us gets hit? And now on most of those like if there's if I'm far away from a car, I'll just bring a um, tourniquet in with me mm-hmm. and just in case. And th- these things are so light and uh it makes me feel it actually allows me to enjoy the situation a little bit more yeah you know i think that that's a common misconception is that like taking a situation on really safely will make you enjoy it less in some way but i don't think that's true no, at all that's not that's for sure that's not true right. yeah and you know if we had good blankets that'd make me enjoy the situation <laughs> a lot more. yeah the blanket thing you know it's so so easy and so now we have them and and the other i think the other part is i i uh, 
I'm a math teacher, um, and that's my prime time gig, and and I have a tendency to look at at um, hazardous situations in terms of large numbers, and the most dangerous thing we did on that trip was drive to go on the boat to go scout. That was the most dangerous thing we did. You know, numerically. like math stuff. You know, like. So say we have a risk factor of 647, <laughs> then we must divide that by the chances of us getting stranded. Therefore, this number concludes the fact that we must bring blankets. Yeah, now I need to bring blankets for sure. Um, Good math, Dad. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> It's good. That he's keeping me honest. That's so. good. Did you um, have a lot of outdoor experiences with your dad? Um, not, not so much, actually. Um, my dad was, he, he was awesome in many, in many ways. Um, spending time with me doing fun things. Like he, he took me golfing and playing bowling and played games with me a lot. But camping literally wasn't one of my family things. I, I came into camping, um, from, uh, surf travel actually when I was 18, um, and started going to school at UCSC driving to and from, I just realized that um, I drove through Big Sur once, and I realized that every time I went back down to Huntington Beach, I had to drive through Big Sur. And so I started camping a lot. And it was all, for me, it was a lot of swashbuckling. I'd never camped before um, with my parents. I did did it with my grandfather in Montana when I was 13. He had taken me horse packing. Um, but... Uh, and it's not something I'd done independently uh, with my father. It was mostly my grandfather who did who did it mm. with me. And when you had kids, um, what was your philosophy around camping in the outdoors? Um, I wanted, and and I continue to want my children to have an experience with the outdoors that's meaningful and substantial. Um, and. This may also come as somewhat of a disturbing thing, but my wife and I took Jasper camping when he was two weeks old in Big Sur. Um, so, it's, fortunately, I have a, a lovely wife who is very adventurous and, and also tolerant of our adventures. Um, I have to say, in retrospect, I think this one caused her to scratch her head a little nervously <laughs> um, but it was more of a symbolic gesture than anything yeah, yeah. but um she she is also no stranger to to uh wide and and broad adventures and uh and wholeheartedly endorses this kind of thing both with my daughter and and with my son and uh and i've taken my daughter out also on mm-hmm. bear hunts where we try and find bears like actually see them not actually go and eat them and yeah, chill. <laughs> yeah. so bear observations it's bear bear, ob- bear, bear, bear scout bear scout that's Got a good bear way scout. to put it yeah um, oh no no bear and jasper oh, uh what has what have the outdoors taught you hmm. that's a difficult question well definitely if it ever comes to something like being stranded anywhere, it's definitely going to help with a lot of life skills. And, like, it's, I feel like it's, like, hopefully it, I don't need to use it in difficult situations later. Well, actually, maybe just for the experience, but... Yeah. 
I mean, like, it's. I feel like it's going to be worthwhile just to help later on in situations outdoor because um, that's probably going to happen. <laughs> so, All right, so uh, set, follow-up question. How have the outdoors changed the way you feel about yourself? Well, I now know I can hike for 22 miles in 22 hours with only an hour of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> How about it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you didn't, like, and you didn't know that before. Oh no, I know. I thought I needed like nine hours of sleep a night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not gonna happen. A lot. I, you, you, you do in general, but as a one-off, as a one-off, yeah, you can, you can put, you can push yourself beyond what you. When thought your brain you goes into survival mode, yeah. it's kind of crazy what you can do. If if someone were to ask you, you know, before that trip, do you think you can go twenty-two miles in twenty-two hours with an hour on sleep? Well, what, and I didn't know you, I could do it before the trip either. What would you have said? If I would have asked you that question I'd before. I'd probably say I'd do my best. <laughs> yeah. Which is what he did. I, I It was an amazing father moment at the very end to see him, have him throw the, the, the epiphany, like the ah moment was him throwing snowballs near the edge of that reservoir. And then also giving me license to go and swim that across the river because he was still mentally solid, and 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 I and, knew you could do it. I didn't think Todd could. Well, I think Todd probably could have done it too. But, Maybe um, I could have done it. That that you that that you were still together enough at that point. Just it it made me very proud of how you comported yourself, and. Um, you know, I feel like my job as a parent is to build in my own obsolescence. What I mean by that is that you are an independent human being who can find your way through challenging civil uh, situations, which will Sounds undoubtedly right. arise. I'm sorry, what's that? Sounds about right. <laughs> That's, and this seems like a really fun way for us to be doing it. Definitely. You guys, you are my heroes. Oh, thanks, Kyle. Um, and I'm so stoked to know you both. And Likewise. Yeah. Um, I think that that one's just going to leave people thinking for a while. So um, if you don't mind, I think we should end it there. Thanks. All right. I do want to oh. say, Kyle, thank you for giving us a op- moment to, to share this with you and with your listeners. This is a great opportunity for us to, to revisit this. This is a great story. Thank you. Um, and the sausage was really good. <laughs> yeah, and y- yep, you, you ate your wild venison sausage. Um, got more for you in the freezer. That is one of my favorite things about hunting is being able to share the meat with my friends. It's so awesome. Arguably my f- most favorite thing about hunting. It's so like, awesome. And and similarly, you, you come over here. You know when we first started hanging out and you came over and you said, is that a walnut tree in your front yard? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, you ever harvest those walnuts? I was like, no. You're like, do you mind if I do? I was like, sure. And then you came back over to my house and you're like, I've made you walnut liqueur. Enjoy. I was like, this guy's going to be my friend. Oh, man. It's, it's um, awesome. So uh, just real quick, what are some of the um, the places where people should, can get started mushroom foraging on their own? Just easy um, Well, you see, that's hard points. to do without giving away any of our spots. Yeah. Okay, no, we, we, no, 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 not spots, just, just resources, good uh, books or... Um, any resources like that that you recommend? Yes. Number one is to whatever, wherever it is you walk, start to notice mushrooms. 
Start to look for them. Start, Any kind of mushrooms. They're all over. They'll be breaking through pavement. They'll be in planter boxes. They'll be on the planter box. They might be growing out of some of your wooden furniture that you've left derelict in your backyard. Um, mushrooms are all over the place. So just start seeing them. They provide an amazing ecological service. And, and once you start seeing them, let that stoke the fire of your curiosity. And as far as resources are concerned, um, a good entry-level text is All the Rain Promises and More by David Aurora. Uh, it's funny. You can sit down and read it. it it's, it's got wit- witty anecdotes. It's a little dated, which adds to the charm because it was clearly written in the like, late 70s, 80s. Um, and... Um, and it has, I think, some 200 species that are uh, pretty prevalent in um, the central uh, California area, um, but also show up sometimes in Southern California, a little bit up in Northern California. And, um, and then there's a, a couple of really good filmmakers that have come out and made some exceptional films that help uh, identification. And most notably, I think, um, is this fellow named Taylor Lockwood, who uh, he makes... They're somewhat campy, charming, with uh, and with a great eye towards instruction and uh, presentation. And he makes amazing photos of mushrooms. And then there's probably, uh, if if this is, starts to fire up your con- um, your interest, there's probably a, a community of people that are really interesting that live on your street or in your neighborhood that have a, a foraging group that they've started up. So in Santa Cruz, there's um, the uh, Fungus Federation of Santa Cruz. Um, there's one of these in Santa Barbara and San Diego and San Francisco and all up and down. And, and these folks love nothing more than to share the experience in the woods. Um, yes, they'll have some secret spots, but yes, they'll also have some communal spots. And they help folks identify mushrooms and be safe um, because – a lot of these organizations, their ultimate objective is education and outreach in understanding and demystifying mushrooms. Um, you also uh, wind up appreciating your ecosystems a little more and appreciating the natural world a little more. I'm, I, I hold a very strong, if not somewhat unpopular or, uh, or at least unconventional opinion that sharing things like surfing with a, as many people as you possibly can and sharing things like mushroom hunting and so on, if it's done in, an, in a thoughtful, education-based way, um, will ultimately wind up preserving the resource and, and give a, a larger community um, access to understanding what's around them. And when people appreciate a resource, it becomes valuable. Um, places like Killer Dana probably wouldn't have disappeared in, in the 21st century. Um, and Could you repeat, what's Killer Dana? Yeah, it's a surf spot. In, yeah, it was in an old surf Colorado. spot that yeah. got... Uh, was, it, what, what, was there a harbor that There's was built there? There's a harbor there now. Yeah. yeah. And, and lots of places, lots of open spaces where people can go mushroom hunt, um, have a, a groups of folks that are becoming ever more interested in preserving them as wild habitats. And, and that's a good thing. So 
Indeed, here, here. And I saw you the other night at Fantastic Fungi. Oh, that film was awesome. Man, that was beautiful. That is it. I highly recommend everyone goes and sees Fantastic Fungi, which is touring all around right now. Uh, the main character, Paul Stamets, and Louis, Sh- I believe is the director's name is Louis Schwarzberg. Yeah. Really beautiful. I mean, there were these time lapses in that with amazing fungus eating a dead mouse and yes. fungus just transforming these forests in such magical ways. That is a, a particularly well done film. Yeah. As an inch, in, it, it's, that is more um, a the wow factor of it's, mushrooms. It's, it's one to stoke your curiosity, yes. not uh, one for education. Yeah. But as you say, you gotta you gotta stoke the fire first to get you, people you to really want more. You really do. You really do. Thank you for bringing that one up, actually. And yeah. that fellow Paul Stamets, he also has is an amazing resource. I mean, he's got his a website where he sells all sorts of products, but he also has TED Talks, and he's extremely articulate. Yeah. And in listening to him talk in person that evening, I... I I, as I listened, I, I said, this man is a genius. Yeah. I mean, he is so creative and inspiring. Yep. So, yeah. That I, is, that's also another I met him. I met him at a, a party earlier that night, and I noticed I don't think that I would get that starstruck by anyone else. I noticed, like, myself, like, going up to him and then like kind of like going away a little bit like okay is now an okay time to like come in and hang out which is i mean i'm kind of patting myself on the back that like genius is what awes me and makes me feel a little nervous yeah which was it was a cool feeling but that he, is a he, cool he was he was a nice dude you guys um question do you want people to be able to reach out to you um if they have questions or would you rather m- maintain um, you know uh, anonymity. I would I would turn people towards uh, a. At this point, I have a, a ten and a thirteen year old in a full time job. Yeah, um, <laughs> you I'm not I'm not in a position to be a a, a yeah. full time resource. You don't need a bunch of emails coming at I, you. I, I don't. Um, I would say go towards uh, your local fungus federation um, and so on. Um, maybe at some point in my life, uh, I'll be there. All right, but. I say no to a lot of things because, um, well, I went to six soccer games this weekend so I could just be with my kids and watch them play. And Jasper, let's finish it on this note. Dude, what happened at this last soccer game? Oh, earlier today, we had a tournament. And our team won. You won, the whole, you won the whole tournament. Yeah. yeah. You, so you went undefeated. How many games did you go undefeated? Uh, four. Four games undefeated. Yeah. We had a perfect won. score of 40-0. Yeah. 40 0. Yeah, it means you have to win each game by a 3 0 margin or more. Oh. Nice. No team scored on them. They they scored 22 points in four games. Jasper knocked in a PK. All right. Well, I will say this, Jasper, when you make it to working age, um, please let me hire you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Thank you guys thank you. so much. Jasper and Randy Garrett. Have a good night. Shaka. <laughs> That's our show. I'm going to play out the song called Mermaid Legs by the Getaway Dogs. They listened to this podcast and they sent me some music. If you are a musician and you want your tunes played at the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. Once again, thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. I guess it's a project of some kind, but podcast uh, on Patreon. Um, Don't forget, you can go to scmedicinals.com to get your CBD infused nootropic caps. 
Tickets to the Motherfucker Awards are still on sale. Hope you're all having a great day. I will see you very, very soon. i got some good episodes coming out in the days ahead. And with that, sit back, get some time outside, and I hope you enjoy this song called Mermaid Legs by the Getaway Dogs.
back 